0: The Old Testament reading today comes from Daniel 3, 1 through 18. First, Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of of the image that he'd set up so the satraps the prefects the governors the advisors the treasurers the judges the magistrates and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that king nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it then the herald loudly proclaimed this is what you're commanded to do o peoples nations and men of every language as soon as you hear the sound of the horn the flute the zither, the lot, lyre, the harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship him will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, harp, and all other kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King ne- Nebuchadnezzar, O King, live forever. You have, decree, you have issued a decree, O King, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, sither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you've set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you have heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pieces, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image that I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what, God, will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Would you pray with me once more? Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for the stories and the lives of those saints who have gone before us and show us what it means to live faithfully as children of God. Father, we thank you for how you have displayed your power to save through their lives. We pray that we would be changed, that our faith would be strengthened, and that we would be even more committed to follow you as a result of hearing and thinking and praying on your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'm sure if you grew up watching TV and movies, like most of us have, I think, you've seen some of those great police chases, right? Where the police are chasing someone, usually a couple guys, in a really cool car. Whether it's the, the Duke brothers, you know, the Dukes of Hazard, or Smokey and the Bandit. And the people being chased are trying to get across the state line or the county line. Because once they get across the line, then apparently the police are going to have to break off the chase because they don't have jurisdiction in that other county or that other state love those kind of movies, love those kind of car chases, but I don't think that's how it works in real life. At least at least not with officers of the law. Though I do know from experience that it does work with campus security. Um, Not IU campus security. Uh, Houghton College was a very different kind of place. Last week, Jim confessed about his run-ins with the law, so I figured I could do the same this week. Uh, but again, Houghton was a very different place than IU. Uh, there's probably more students in one of the dorms at IU than there was on the whole campus of Houghton College. And to say it's secluded is kind of like saying Hoosiers like basketball. I mean, it's a massive understatement. You have to drive a half hour to find the McDonald's from Houghton College. So it's out in the middle of nowhere which means you have to make your own fun, legal or otherwise. One of one particular night, our, our fun was fairly innocent. It involved six or seven guys in the back of my tri- uh, pickup truck armed with squirt guns and water balloons. I think we would have been okay, except that one of those water balloons hit the chief of security, campus police, Uh, for Houghton College, and he jumped in his cruiser, I don't know what it was, it was not a real police cruiser, it was probably a Toyota Corolla, and gave chase. My idea was, get off campus, he'll stop chasing. He didn't. Um, 30 miles down the road, he eventually did, but it was only to turn around, go back to his office, and spend the rest of the night writing me tickets. Um... About a thousand dollars worth of tickets I had waiting in my campus mailbox the next morning, which I spent the rest of the school year paying off by working for him. Uh, lots of lots of fun. But there was a limit to campus security's jurisdiction, as there is with every human institution. Uh, there is a limit to jurisdiction and to power built into every human institution. But this story reminds us, I think, that that God's jurisdiction doesn't end at the borders of Israel. Nor does his power to save have geographic boundaries. Not even death itself can keep God from saving his people. This story was one of my favorite stories as a kid. Daniel was probably my favorite story. But this came second. But it's not just a kid's story. There's a lot for us to consider, to contemplate, and to reflect on and, and learn from. This morning, I, I want to reflect on, on three qualities I see in, well, two of them are in the three hotshots the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But obviously, they're not the point of the story. The point of the story is God and God's ability to save. So I want us to focus on that as well. Uh, the first thing that as I was studying the story again this past week that that I was struck with was these three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the remarkable wisdom they had. They displayed. Uh, these three friends displayed wisdom knowing where to take a stand, and how to take a stand. I think we as Christians have a lot to learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because our situation is more similar to their situation than any, really any other Old Testament saint. They were aliens and strangers in a foreign land they were exiles terms of the New Testament picks up and applies to Christians no matter where they live we are aliens and strangers sojourners exiles they didn't live in Israel anymore they didn't live in the promised land they didn't live under the theocracy of Israel They didn't live in a culture where everyone worshipped the same God, where everyone accepted the same things to be true, where everyone marched to the same beat morally. They lived in Babylon, a pluralistic society where people were worshipping many different gods. It wasn't the Holy Land anymore. And these three men, you can include Daniel make it a fourth in this context heeded jeremiah's call to seek the good of the city while you live there jeremiah said to the exiles as they were going to babylon you're going to be there a long time work for the good of the city build houses live in them plant vineyards reap from them marry have children prosper and work for the good of the city because now your fortunes your welfare your well-being is tied to the well-being of babylon so work for the good of the city and these four men daniel and shadrach meshach and abednego did that and they were using their gifts using their intellect using their wisdom to advance well the state of babylon and they were given prominent places, important places, where they were making important decisions. And where they were exposed to, well, probably far greater risk. It would have been easier to retreat to oh, a ghetto kind of mentality and say, we're just going to stay in this safe enclave. But they didn't. They were in prominent positions And they were seeking and working towards the good of the city, knowing it wasn't Jerusalem and never trying to turn it into Jerusalem. They just maintained a faithful presence in the city. And it had to raise daily questions, daily questions about how do we now apply God's good law to this new context In Deuteronomy 12, a lot of laws are introduced with the phrase, this is how you're to live in the land that I'm giving you. But now they're not in the land. Now there is no temple. Now there is no active priesthood. Now there are no sacrifices. How do they live now faithfully in a different context? How do laws get reapplied now in this context? What's it mean to be a committed child of God. How do they work out those commitments in Babylon? And throughout their day, just think of the numerous decisions that called for wisdom. You're Daniel, and you're walking through the bazaar, and you see this wonderful garment. But it's made out of two different kinds of cloth. Well, in Israel, you wouldn't see that, and it was against God's commands to wear a garment made of two different kinds of cloth. But what about now, in Babylon? Or now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you've risen to places of prominence. You're governing the affairs of the city. And the priests at the local temple come and they want a building permit. Or they want monies from the royal treasury. To add on to the temple and you have to sign the documents tremendous amount of wisdom needed just to navigate daily life as a faithful follower of God in a foreign place and any one of those days they could have chosen to take a stand on that hill or that hill and probably died on that hill or that hill But they didn't. Here they they take a stand on an absolutely unchanging, unassailable command of God. Have no other gods before me. The Lord your God is one. Worship Him only. They chose, well, the foundation of their faith as the place where they were going to take their stand. But they did so, frankly, quietly. One commentator said he was impressed with their lack of stridency. They didn't call the press first. Uh, They didn't make a scene as they stood for God. They didn't wear sandwich boards, hold up signs, no king but God. Nothing like that. Matter of fact... King Nebuchadnezzar didn't even notice at first, right? It was only when the astrologers came and said, you should take notice of these few Jews who aren't bowing to your statue, to your idol. There was a lack of stridency here. They quietly maintained their faith and commitment before God. Not like Origen. Origen is one of these really quirky saints in the early church. His father, Origen's father, had died as a martyr, and Origen was determined that he was going to die as a martyr too. His plan was to go and throw himself in front of Caesar's chariot and start preaching Christ. Um, His mom stole his clothes so that he couldn't go and do that. He wasn't going to go, he was going to go do it, but not naked. Uh, So Origen was spared from that fate. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't have that sense of stridency. They just quietly stand for God. You get this sense, too, that they're standing for God, not that they're standing against King Nebuchadnezzar or against the culture or against Babylon. They're standing for God, refusing to bow. I think there's so much for us to take note of and to ponder, and to learn from, from how they were faithful to God in the midst of a very difficult context. They were simply working for the good of the city. Daily. Working for justice, working for order, working for peace. But quietly refusing to compromise their commitments to worship the one and the true God. Reinhold Niebuhr penned a prayer. It's become a very famous prayer called the Serenity Prayer. He said, God, give me the serenity to accept things I can't change, the courage to change what I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I think that's so wise, and I see that embodied in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not trying to change Babylon into Jerusalem, knowing what can't be done, accepting that, but yet having courage to take a stand and displaying great wisdom. That wisdom did not remove them from the crucible of trial, though, does, right? I mean, their wisdom told them where to take a stand, and that then they did. And the second thing that you gotta notice when you look at the story is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith and courage. I mean, how great must the temptation have been to compromise here? I think a lot of the Jews probably did compromise. The astrologers come and they say some of the Jews won't bow the knee. Many of them probably reasoned with themselves and and said, you know what, maybe the Babylonian gods are better. They just bested us. They conquered us. Maybe the power behind the Babylonian gods is greater than the power behind our God. Or maybe some rationalized it like, well, kind of like kids. If you've been around kids, you've probably heard them say something like at one time or another, I'm apologizing on the outside, but inside I'm sticking out my tongue. something like that. Uh, In our house... You know, every once in a while we'll tell one of our kids to say they're sorry to their brother. And it usually comes out like, fine, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, great. It's not what we're looking for. There's this sense that you can do something externally without doing it internally. And it would be very easy to rationalize and say, I'll bow the knee, but I'm not really worshiping this image. I'm just going through the, the motions externally, but worship's an internal thing anyway, right? Well, that wasn't a good enough option for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were not going to give the appearance, even, of that kind of compromise. The, the temptation here, I think, was a very subtle one, and it's one that we face too. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't saying, you must abandon the worship of your God, he was saying, that's fine, worship your God, but add me, or add this idol, add my God to your pantheon. It's syncretism. It's the blending of pure biblical faith and worship with something unbiblical and unholy. And it's simply not an option for faithful followers of God. I mean, it would be like saying... Husbands, saying to your wife, Honey, I love you. I'm devoted to you. But I'm going to get another wife too. You'll be my first wife. I'll love you more. In fact, I won't even love that other wife much at all. I'll just go through the outward motions. How many of you wives would consider that good enough? Well, God doesn't either. But it is a temptation to... For faithful men and women throughout the ages. It was a temptation for them in Babylon. You see it as a temptation for the churches under the Roman Empire. Worship the Lord. But can we still bow to Caesar when he demands our worship? It's a temptation for us. What is the temptation in your life? What is the, oh, not real statue that you might bow down to, but the practical idol the thing that vies for ultimate importance in your life? What is it that you're tempted to worship alongside God? Is it the God of tolerance? The God of academia? The God of wealth and success? The God of sexual liberty? The God of your kids? If any of those things are vying for the place of ultimate importance in your life, you need to find the faith and the courage that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego displayed and say, no, I bow to God alone. Their faith is just unbelievable. They they say to Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you on this matter. In other words, we respect God's jurisdiction in this matter, not yours. It reminds me of, of the apostles in the book of Acts. I think it was Peter and John, before the Sanhedrin. They said, you've done a remarkable miracle. We can't deny that. But don't go and don't preach Christ anymore. And they said, really? You think we should obey you instead of God? It's not going to happen. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are doing here. You don't have authority in this matter, Nebuchadnezzar. We obey God. And God will rescue us from your hand. Wow, that's audacious faith. Remember where they are at. They are in exile because King Nebuchadnezzar has defeated Israel. And you can almost see, imagine Nebuchadnezzar rolling his eyes and saying, Oh, like he did when I invaded, huh? But these three friends, they stand with amazing courage and faith. And they said, God will rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow. They trusted that faithfulness to God and death was better than life and compromise. And they were saying, if we perish, don't take that as proof that God can't deliver. Oh, he can, but he doesn't have to. God is only bound by his character and his will. He's not bound to rescue us from your hand as you think he might. God in his unfathomable wisdom sometimes allows his people to suffer even to the point of of death. But that doesn't mean he won't rescue. Because he can rescue even from death. Go to the book of Hebrews and look up chapter 11 sometime, and it's this wonderful story of all these men and women of faith, some who died in old age of natural causes, and it says they didn't receive what was promised to them, but that's not the end of the story. They knew there were aliens and strangers and sojourners in this world, and they were looking for a better country that God was going to give them. When? After God had raised them from death. And the chapter goes on and he says, he talks about all these people who, who died a martyr's death for their faith, who were thrown into the flames, died with a sword, sawed in two, men of whom the world was not worthy, it says, and none of them received what was promised. But they were waiting for a better country, for a better reward that God had promised and planned. Amazing wisdom. And just amazing faith. So where is your faith being tested? Where is it that you need to ask for and find more courage to stand? Where are you being tempted to bow the knee and say, yes, I worship God, but I'm also going to worship at the altar of fill in the blank. Turn and look at the example of Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego. And their unfailing loyalty to God alone. Great wisdom, unbelievable faith, but when you get to the climax of the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not the main characters anymore, right? When you get to the climax of the story, it's God and His power that's on display. These three friends had said, if you throw us to the flames, God is able uh, to save us. And that enrages Nebuchadnezzar. He heats the furnace many times hotter than it's normally heated. He's so mad. And there's this great, great irony in the story. Because as the soldiers obey Nebuchadnezzar and go to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the flames, it's the soldiers who obeyed King Nebuchadnezzar that die. While Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who have disobeyed the king, live. I love the irony there. As they're in the furnace, Nebuchadnezzar leaps to his feet. And he says, wait, didn't we throw three men bound into the furnace? Why do I see four walking around as though unharmed? And he calls to him, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out. And they walk out, and it says not even their clothes smelled of fire. Not even a hint of flame had touched them. It just points to the the fullness of God's salvation. They weren't harmed in the slightest. Not a hair was singed because God was protecting them. And Nebuchadnezzar worships. Remember, he had said, what God can save you out of my hand? Now he says, no other God can save in this way. That's the point of the story. God saves his people. That's the point of every story in the Bible. God saves his people. But who is this fourth man? At one point, Nebuchadnezzar says there's a fourth that looks like a son of God's. Later, he calls the fourth figure an angel. Was it an angel? Was it a Christophany, an early pre incarnate appearance of Christ? That's what many in the early church thought of this passage. I don't think we can decide from the passage. Not enough details. But we can say with certainty that this figure was a great representation of God's commitment to be with his people in their distress. God is. Emmanuel in this. He is with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. And it points ahead to the great display of God's willingness to be with his people. To walk through the fires, the furnaces, the distress of life. Jesus didn't stay off at a distance. He came and became one of us to walk through it with us. But there comes a point in Jesus' walking through the fires of life with us where Jesus said, that's far enough. I'm going the rest of the way, not with you, but for you. Because I'm walking into the furnace blast of God's wrath. You don't need to go there. I'm going there for you. You don't have to bear the weight of the curse. I will. You don't have to taste this kind of death. I will. So this story, while it points to Jesus, is only a dim foreshadowing of Jesus because Jesus does so much more than this fourth man in the furnace did. And I think we should shout out with Nebuchadnezzar, there is no God, no God who saves like this, who says... This is what you deserve, but I'll suffer in your place so that I can save you from what you deserve. And God's jurisdiction knows no boundaries, and his power to save knows no limit. What a great God we serve. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it It strengthens our weak and feeble faith, and if we're honest with ourselves, not many of us would be standing there, would have been standing there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but we've proved by how we live even now that we probably would have bowed the knee too. So we pray that you would take our our weak and feeble faith and by your Spirit strengthen it. We pray that we would be found faithful followers of you in this city. In Jesus' precious name, amen.